Thank you. We're continuing on in our, I call it a mini-series, our mini-series on the Bible. Last week was our first session in that, and we spoke about the Bible. What is the Bible? How did we get our Bible? How do we know we can trust our Bible? And if you remember, we talked about the fact that the Bible really is a library of books. How many books? 66 books. It's a library of 66 books, and it's, the Bible is God's written message to mankind. A lot of times we think of the Bible as a book of rules, but really it's a book of hope and it's a book of love. It's a message and, and there's one main message. There's one main character. It's full of stories, true stories, but there is one main message, one main character in God's Word. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. I also want to say I, I realize these messages are a little bit more of um, maybe a teaching style or classroom style than, than a sermon style. Some of you like the teaching style better. Some of you like the preaching style better. Uh, I'm hopeful that you'll be able to get the information that we go through today, but that it will also touch your heart. It won't just be information that sticks in your head, but it will be knowledge and things that we can learn and understand and make sense out of that actually affect our heart, affects our lives. That's my desire for you guys this morning. And I'll say this, I'm excited about this message, and it's one that I try to uh, share uh, at least once a year, and we've done it for the past few years. And, and the reason is this. Today we're going to talk about what is the, uh, what is the meta-narrative, or what is the main story of God's Word, and kind of follow through the story of the Bible. So basically today we're going to try and preach the entire, or teach the entire Bible in a half hour to 49 minutes. <laughs> a half, so we're going to try and give the whole story of the Bible. And so the reason we want to do this is it's important. A lot of us, you know, we read and we hear, you know, we, we hear the story of Samson or we hear the story of Peter or we hear the story, you know, of Gideon. And we have these, these stories, you know, David and Goliath, uh, Adam and Eve, but we don't really know how all of those stories weave together and, and really what one has to do with the other. Obviously, we can't go into the detail of all those stories, but if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, there's a couple things that are really helpful when you do a jigsaw puzzle. One is having a picture of the box there, right? And you can actually look at the picture of what you're supposed to be putting together. The other is all those edge pieces, right? Usually a lot of us, if we're going to do a jigsaw puzzle, you start with all the edge pieces. And that's because it gives you a framework to, to kind of realize where the other pieces go. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to try and provide a framework, a broad overview of what God's Word it teaches, but also kind of the flow of God's Word so that you can understand when you're reading God's Word or we give a message in a few weeks, we're going to be starting a series in Acts and go through the book chapter by chapter, the book of Acts. We can understand where that fits in the big picture of the Bible. So we're kind of going to start back to our typical verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in a few more weeks. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. But the, the question we're answering today is, what is the main message of the Bible? So I'm going to pray one more time, and then we'll dive into the details. Father, we come before you. I thank you again for each person that's here. I thank you for a time of being able to uh, 
praise you, uh, to use our, our mouths to tell of the wonderful things that your son has done, continues to do for us, will do for us. Father, I thank you for that time of worship. And I also thank you for time in your word. Father, as we're going to cover many things today, I pray that you would help it to make sense, help it to be clear. And I ask also that you would just guide me on maybe where to slow down or speed up or what to save for later. And I just ask that you would help me in that. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. Um, let me set something here. Okay. So, if you're taking notes, this may be helpful for you to fill in the notes. The Bible tells the story of Christ restoring people, us, and a world that has been devastated and broken by sin. That'll make a little bit more sense as we go into it. But if, if we had to say what's the theme of the Bible, we would say restoration. You might phrase it as redemption. That's the idea in God's Word, is God takes something that's broken and He fixes it. That's the message of the Bible. And so the, message, the main character of the Bible, obviously, is that all happens through Jesus Christ. And so for us, that begins to happen as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want to make sure we understand that because we're going to go through a lot of information and we don't just want to get data for our brains but we want to understand that the message of God's Word is really a message of hope for us that we can trust, right? When we talk about our faith, we're talking about we can trust healing, wholeness, restoration, redemption in each of our lives because of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We have all, all our lives have been broken and devastated by sin. Would you agree with that? We've all experienced broken relationships. We've all experienced broken hearts. We've all experienced uh, our own sin causing trouble for others. The only remedy is Jesus Christ. And the restoration happens in our lives as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the message of God's Word. So we're going to go through and talk a little bit about that now. It's helpful if we break the, the story. I hate to use the word story because it sounds like this is uh, maybe a fable. It's not. It's a true story of God's Word. As we talk about the story of God's Word, it's helpful if we break it into main sections. And you make Bible lingo, they might use the term dispensations or different sections of time. We would maybe call it different eras. And we believe that God has revealed Himself to man progressively. Right? Adam and Eve didn't know all the details that first day in the garden. But through time, God has unveiled His plan, as we talked about last week, that God has revealed His plan to us through His Word. But He's done that through a period of time. And so we're going to talk about that. And some of what we would say maybe our seven main sections that we'll talk about is creation. These will make a little more sense as we go into it. If you're filling uh, in the note packets, this... This would be uh, the fill-ins. Creation, the curse, covenants, another word for that would be promises, Christ, the church, crown, and complete restoration. You could say completion if you wanted to for that. So here's uh, a little chart I've made to try and help us wrap our brain around it. Some of us are visual uh, learners. I'm a visual learner. 
It's a lot easier to see something. I want to just take a second to explain that, which by the way, here's a commercial. I have a few of these on the back table. It's a little booklet I made that talks about quite a few of the things we're going to be talking about last week, this week. And uh, it's super rough. I really want to redo this. So uh, it's, it's kind of like the first pass at it. But it'll help to explain some of this. And it has the chart in the middle if you want this for your own notes because it's not in your notes if you want that chart. But I want to explain this diagram to you because it'll help make sense. You see our seven C's there? Creation, curse, covenants, Christ, church, crown, complete restoration. We notice how creation and complete restoration are on a higher plane. And then there's this big dip that happens. And that dip happens right at the curse. So God created the world and it was good, right? And everything was perfect. The relationship, the fellowship between God and man was perfect. They walked in the cool of the garden and they talked with one another. But then as we know, as man sinned, there was a curse that came on all of mankind. Sin and brokenness. And then from that point on, there were all these... God made promises right off the bat, as we'll see here. God made promises right off the bat to His people and said, I'm going to fix this mess. And so, through all of the Old Testament and a lot of the stories we know, He's pointing to Jesus Christ. In fact, if you have your uh, notes there, when we look at the Bible as a whole, this would be the, the fill in the blank, when we look at the Bible as a whole, we can see that it all points to Jesus Christ. When we look to the Bible as a whole, it all points to Jesus Christ. Notice who's in the center of this story of all time is Christ. The beginning of our Bible points to Christ. Back of our Bible looks back towards what Christ has done. And so, he is the, as we know from Scripture, He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so his, the book here, our, our Bibles, are all about Christ. And so there were these covenants. Those, I'll explain those. I made all this one day with Evie's little marker kit, so please don't judge the art. We want to do a fancy uh, version of this one of these days. But we'll talk about what each one of those little symbols mean, and it's to help us kind of see the different sections in the Old Testament. And then Christ appeared. And then after Christ ascended, the church was established. We'll see that in Acts. The church began. And we are presently, we would say we are presently in that church age. And we talk about, you know, even some of the songs we sang this morning talk about whether Christ comes back and gets us first or he takes us home first. And so that would be when, when Christ comes back and returns, and I'll explain this if you're like, what are all the arrows? Uh, hopefully it makes some sense. But Christ, we believe, is going to come back and rule on the earth. That he is going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem. And that's what we talk about when we talk about Christ's return, that he is going to establish true justice once again. And there are scriptures that talk about all the swords being forged into pruning hooks. And so what that means, instead of there being a bunch of war, there's, there's going to be us gathering fruit. So instead of all the, the devastation and damage that's in the world right now because of sin and things like war, Scripture talks about that all, the, all that will be turned into pruning hooks. In other words, there's going to be so much fruit, and, and I don't think he just means uh, you know, fruit trees and citrus and those kind of things, 
but instead that life is going to be so good that we won't need swords. We'll just need pruning hooks to gather all the bounty and all the provisions that God's had. And he's going to reign. Scripture says it tells us he's going to reign on earth like that for a thousand years. And then it talks about that after that thousand years that he's going to release Satan one last time to make one last run for it. And then he's going to take Satan and he's going to throw him into the bottomless pit forever. And that he will, he will no longer have any reign and that God is going to create, he says, a new heavens and a new earth. And it says there that he's going to wipe away every tear in the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's a complete restoration. A lot of times we think of heaven as being we're going to go sit on clouds and, and we're each going to get issued a harp. And that's how we're going to spend eternity is learning to play the harp. And some of us are like, that doesn't sound so, so bad. And, and maybe even in your younger days or you've had friends that even say like, I don't really want to go to heaven. That sounds boring. All my friends are going to be in hell. I want to go party with all my friends. I mean, some of you have heard that, right? That's not just me. not just the circle of people I hung out with. But as you, as you hear that, it's not the reality of what God has planned for us in the future. The reality is that God has a new heaven and a new earth for us to be able to enjoy where there will be none of the problems that we deal with today is bringing us back to essentially the state of Eden and better. That's the good news message. And all that is for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we say through Jesus Christ, everything is going to be restored. Does that make sense? Does this picture make a little bit more sense now? Okay, so we're going to go through and I'm probably not going to be able to spend time on all these scriptures. If you want the PowerPoint, I can give you the PowerPoint. Um, if you want these scriptures and more, I can give you those. But just for the sake of time this morning, we're probably not going to read every word of every scripture I have up here. So first we start with creation. It says, God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Then in Genesis 2 it says, They were both naked, Adam and Eve, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So this is a picture of how perfect everything was. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no sin. There was just perfect relationship between God and man. Everything was as it should be. If you read the first chapters, he says he created this. It is good, he says. It is good. It is good. Everything God did, it was perfect. Things started out perfect. So we see where that fits in our picture. And then unfortunately, things quickly go downhill. We're, we're in two chapters into the Bible. And, and three chapters, you know, uh, two chapters in, everything falls apart. And so there's this curse. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Again, trying to ruin trust. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here we see Satan's big trick, trying to make us think that we can be our own gods. We can do things our way, and that our knowledge is somehow going to save us, our intelligence, what we know. And he's, he tricked Adam and Eve with this. It said the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Before, there was no shame, was there? I mean, all of us deal with shame to one degree or another, guilt to one degree or another. Can you imagine a life with no shame? You don't have to worry about what anybody is thinking of you. You never have to worry about your reputation. You feel completely secure in who God's made you. That's what they had, and that's what they lost. Said they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And here we see that God is searching for them, right? He's looking for them. He said to Adam, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And since then, that's what men have done with their sin. They want to go run and be hide from God. That's why people say, I'm afraid to come into the church. The, the, the roof will cave in on me. God will blast that thing with the lightning bolt if I show up to church. It's because men feel like they need to be separated from God, but God is constantly pursuing man. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me. And then here we see our next trick. We all start the blame game, right? We all want to blame shift. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, so we see that things went downhill from there. Covenants, promises. I'm going to move quickly through these. But covenants, you know, we call it our Old Testament and our New Testament. Another word for that is old promises and new promises. And so in Jesus Christ, we have a whole new set of promises, a whole new set of hope. But God made some promises, and as we're going to see here, He made them particularly to one group of people. But He, he made some promises right off the bat that He will keep. God always keeps His promises. And so right here, as soon as that happened, as soon as that happened, He cursed the snake, right, the serpent. And here's what God said. God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman, and your seed and her seed. And here, catch this. This is a promise. This is one of God's first promises saying there's going to be victory. Things look bad. Things got wrecked, but there's going to be victory. And he says this, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is a picture of Christ and the serpent. And what he's saying is you're going to, he's talking to the serpent, the serpent, serpent, you're going to maybe bruise his heel. You may give him a bite that's going to cause him some pain. And did Christ have to face some pain? Betrayal, didn't he? he, he his, his own people rejected him. Didn't he get kind of what we would make call a snake bite by having to die on a cross and be crucified, a shameful death on the cross. That was, that was a snake bite on his heel. But what Satan didn't is, is here and here is, yeah, you may get a snake bite on his heel, but he, Jesus Christ, is going to crush your head. And so we see right here, three chapters into Genesis, God is already promising, yeah, you guys made a mess out of things, but it can be restored. I'm going to fix this problem. There's going to be victory. It's not always going to be brokenness. And so I just want to give some hope right now. Some people in here 
are dealing with brokenness and devastation by sin that other people did to you or by your own sin or just by living in this sin-filled world. You're dealing with brokenness and devastation. And I just want to encourage you to remind you that there is victory in Jesus Christ and that He is more powerful than sin. He is more powerful than the father of all that sin and that He will be victorious. He is victorious, but He is going to demonstrate all that victory. And He wants to begin that in our hearts now. He wants to bring healing, wholeness, restoration to your situations right now. And I'm not saying everything's going to work out perfect, and your long-lost uh, kid is going to, you know, everything's, you're going to have the relationship that you never had or you and your wife that are separated or broken or, you know, oh, the, the divorces are going to come back together. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But what I'm saying is that he can bring healing to your heart. And he can bring transformation to your life that you can be filled up instead of empty and broken. That is possible in Jesus Christ. There's the covenant of Noah. We all know that. He promised to never destroy the earth again by flood. He didn't say that we wouldn't have floods. What's the symbol of that? The rainbow. Unfortunately, that's been distorted now by our culture. But when you see a rainbow in the sky, that's a symbol of God's promise that he promised to never destroy the whole earth again by flood. Abrahamic covenant. You all know we talk about Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons. You know that song? When we talk about Father Abraham, we say that he is one of the, our, our forefathers in the faith, that he is the grandpa of the Jews or Israel, right? Abraham? Well, that's because God, again, we're still, we're still not even out of the first book of the Bible. We're going to speed up after this, don't worry. But right off the bat, God makes a promise to Abraham. And he says to him, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And this is where the nation of Israel, and this is important for us to get, because a lot of God's word is dealing with the nation of Israel, pretty much from Genesis 11 or 12, all the way through the new, to the, up to the New Testament, and then a bunch of even the New Testament talks about Israel. And that's why a lot of times you see Israel in the news, you're like, this little dinky nation, why in the world are they always in the news? How are they even surviving? Everybody hates them. How are they surviving? It's because God chose to do something through that group of people. And he particularly chose to do it through a weak, small group of people because he wanted to display how powerful he is. So if you're kind of like, I don't know about God's word. Well, thousands of years ago, he made promises to the group of Israel. And nobody has been able to squash them out yet. Look at the Holocaust. It was an attempt not that long ago for... Israel to be squashed out. And in fact, I think it was 47, they reestablished themselves back in, uh, in Jerusalem there. And so if we begin to look at what God's done, a lot of his promises in Scripture are given to the people of Israel, and they will be fulfilled, as you'll see as we go on. Are we all sticking with this? There's a lot of stuff here, isn't it? So we're kind of getting the story of the Bible. Things started out great, got real crummy, but God started making some promises right off the bat. Some of the promises, he said, you guys are going to be a great nation. I'm going to do something with you, people of Israel. Now, this is important for us to realize, because does anybody know what nationality Christ was? Yeah, and so it says that all in you, in Abraham, Father Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How is that possible? Have any of us here been blessed by Abraham? 
No, but we've been blessed by his seed. That was promised way back in Jesus Christ. So because of Abraham, this promised Abraham, God has kept his promise and brought a savior through Abraham's line. Again, the promise continues. And here he talks about, he says that I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people that will be more than the stars. And he says, I'm going to give you a land. It says now at the end, look now toward heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. And that, that is, Israel has just continued on. And he said that, at this last sentence here, he said to him, God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Again, another promise. What is Israel usually fighting about or people fighting Israel about? The land, right? And so that's the continued promise that God has given. Like, you're going to possess this land one day. It's important for us to remember that because God's promises are literal. And as we get into Revelation, so we're at the very beginning of the book now, but as we get to the very end of the book here, moments, quite a few moments, but in moments, we're going to see that he establishes that in the land, his promises. Deliverance, you remember? This same nation, the Jews, Israelites, Hebrews, whatever name you want to call them by, they were enslaved by Egypt, right? Well, he gave them a promise, and he said, I'm going to get you out of that land. I'm going to rescue you. And you can imagine if Abraham's ancestors had these promises, you're going to do something great for us? You're going to give us a land, and here we are, a bunch of slaves? Do you think that they could have maybe been able to, to, to have some doubt creep into their hearts about God being able to keep these promises when they're under the thumb of the pharaohs? It was probably hard for them to believe that God would continue them on as a nation and do something great through them. Well, very often it's hard for us to believe that God's going to accomplish what He's told us He's going to accomplish because we look at the dark, uh, troubling circumstances. But he will. Just like they hung on, we should hang on. Then, that's a picture of the Ten Commandments there and uh, them wandering around in the wilderness. But he gave them a written law. And this promise, he says, I'm going to bless you guys. I'm going to, as you obey my word, I'm going to bless your lives. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them that in, in one way to demonstrate that they could not live up to God's perfect standards. They needed to depend on God. And so Israel, again, now I know a bunch of this is focused on Israel, and it'll make sense why. But so Israel, he makes his promise to them. He gets them out of the land. He gives them a set of guidelines to live by. They're wandering around. They still haven't gotten into the land, right? You all know about the 40 years. They're wandering around the wilderness, and you're kind of thinking, what's happened? They're, they're, they're not getting what God promised. Do you ever feel like that? You're not getting what God promised? It's nothing new. God will deliver on His promises, though. So that's the Mosaic Covenant came through. So then what happens is Israel enters the promised land, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. They don't do what God says, so they aren't able to keep it. But the book of Joshua tells that. If you want to go back and read the book of Joshua, it talks about how they entered the land. And they were supposed to take the land and secure it for themselves, but they didn't quite do it. They didn't completely follow what God told them to do. 
And so they ended up losing a lot of the wonderful things that God wanted to do for them. It sounds similar to our situation sometimes, isn't it? We kind of skimp on the obedience part and kind of wonder, like, why isn't God blessing me? Well, God did deliver them into the land. He gave the promise, and He delivered upon His promise. So everything great? They're in the land? No, not so much. They started worshiping false gods and doing all kinds of things, not obeying God, so things got kind of crummy. And before there were any kings, we, we studied this probably a couple years ago now, the book of Judges. Before there were any kings, there were a bunch of judges that were judging Israel. Right? Can anyone name a judge that we talked about? Deborah. Deborah. Yeah. Kind of. She was like an assistant, more or less. But uh, she should have been judged because she was doing things so right on. Gideon was another. Samson. Yeah. So we know those stories. But that's before there were any kings in Israel. Israel really wanted a king really bad. They looked around all the other nations and said, You've given all the other nations kings. How come we can't have kings? Well, he gave them some kings. And you can see here, King of David is the one we know best. And so we've already talked about a couple of the big names in Judaism, right? Abraham and David. They're kind of like the superstars of Judaism. You mention those names, and uh, they're the, the names that command respect. Well, God brought all these kings. Were all the kings of Israel good kings? No. Were some of them bad kings? Yeah. You had some good kings, like David, and he certainly wasn't perfect. And then you had some bad kings, Ahab, and some, some kings that were really bad. But God has this period of kings, and that would be when we read the books of like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. That's the story of these kings in Israel's history. And so... Israel continues, they have some good kings, then they have some bad kings, then they have some good kings, then they have some bad kings. They start following God, they walk away from God. God makes a promise to David, and it's called the Davidic covenant, or the Davidic promise. And what he says is someone's going to come from... So, who is David and a descendant of? Abraham. And now, he tells David... There's going to be one of your descendants, David, that is going to rule on a throne forever. Any idea who that might be? Christ. That's a Davidic covenant saying, hey, there's going to be, David, someone's going to sit on your throne and reign forever. They're going to come through your bloodline. And so here we see the bloodline of Jesus Christ and the significance of that. <clears throat> God keeping his promises in all the roller coaster of history. And I'll tell you what, God keeps his promises in all the roller coaster of our life. Isn't life a roller coaster? Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been saying that more and more recently. Something happens, and I'm like, man, life's a roller coaster. And sometimes you're up here, and sometimes you're down here. But God's promises are true, no matter where you're at in the roller coaster of life. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to have a bunch of new friends here after that. You start. All right. Sorry. Don't, don't be sorry. Happens to us all. And we all have that same feeling when, it, when it's our phone that goes off. So we've all experienced it. So then, so then what happens is 
They're, they're, they're in the land. They're kind of hanging out in the land. They never really fully secured the land. They have all these kings. But then what happens is they, they ignore God. They ignore God. They disobey God. And God says, okay, it's time for a spanking, Israel. And here's your spanking. This land I promised you, you're going to be kicked out of it for a while. And you're going to have to go live under these uh, pagan rulers. So you're going to have to go live in Babylon. And that's where we get the books like Daniel and, and the major and minor prophets. And we get, you know how Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they wouldn't bow down and worship the false god, right? You remember that? Well, that's because they were in exile. And you remember they'd taken all the young boys and taken them away? Well, so Israel here is now getting disciplined by God. And so they end up uh, out of the land for 70 years. And then God, after their discipline's over, He says, I'm going to bring you back into the land. You know the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They go and rebuild the temple. They go and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. And that's Ezra and Nehemiah. So here you can see the whole picture of the Old Testament and all God's promises to the Jewish people. And you can see that they've been obedient and disobedient, and he stayed faithful to them. So you can see where we got creation, curse, covenants. And then we see that Jesus Christ, and that's our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here we have the ascension in there. That's actually not till Acts. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it talks about Christ being born. It talks about Christ ministering, his life, buried, crucified. And you know that little symbol down there at the bottom? When Christ came, did the Jews say, here he is, here's the long-awaited Messiah. Praise God. No, they rejected Jesus Christ, the Jewish people. God had kept his promises. He brought them the deliverer, and they said, uh-uh, we don't think this is the guy. And so they rejected Jesus Christ. In fact, they were the ones who pushed for him to be crucified. They convinced the Romans to crucify Jesus Christ. God's chosen people, the Jewish people, the ones he'd made these promises to and said, I'm going to bring you a deliverer. I'm going to rescue you. There's going to be someone who sits on the throne. The one who arrived, Jesus Christ, they rejected. And Jesus Christ, as we know, they crucified him. He was buried. He was raised. And then uh, he ascends. In, in Acts chapter 2, it is one or two. He, he ascends. And then we have the church age, and that's where we're in now. And so what happens is, remember what happens is after he, uh, Christ ascends, they're all there in the upper room gathering, and then there's a speaking of tongues, and everyone's understanding the gospel in their own language, and then they all go out, and the church is born, and the church just grows like wildfire, right? Even though the Romans and different people are trying to squash out Christianity, does it get squashed? No. And so what God had said is God told the, said, Israel rejected me, so you know what? I'm going to keep my promise to Israel, but my promise to them is on hold. That's why when you see this dashed line, my promise to Israel is on hold. I'm going to fulfill that, but this provides me an opportunity to deal with a new batch of people, the Gentiles. And that would be anybody that's not Jewish. Most of us are Gentile here. And so he says, now I'm letting the Gentiles receive the promises that I had reserved for Israel. And so as he, that's the church age. You know, Apostle Paul running around starting churches, writing letters to the churches, right? When we read Colossians, it says, to those at Colossae, to the church at Philippi. 
That's towards the end of our Bible here. These are all letters to churches. And so that's the church age. And then we have the crown. So I want to read a little bit from Revelation. Some of this is hard to interpret, difficult, but I want you to see uh, two things before I get in here. Is I want you to see that God keeps His promises, that Jesus Christ came. His first time He arrived, He arrived in a lot of meekness. And He's going to, when He comes back a second time, He is arriving in strength and power. And he is going to rule and he is going to reign and there's nobody that's going to say different. In fact, it says in Scripture that every tongue will bow. Or, not every tongue. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. You, got, you know some people that are kind of like, well, not me. I'd like to see him. Well, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Even the toughest tough guy is going to bow and going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I want to see that. But to the church age, I'm going to go back just a little bit, and I want to explain those arrows. So Christ ascended. See that arrow? And it says that Christ right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. See, So that thing kind of comes back. And then you see how it kind of loops down and comes, before it goes all the way down, it kind of does a half loop. Well, scriptures also teach us that Jesus is going to return. He's not going to come all the way down to earth. Before he comes all the way down to earth, he is going to appear in the sky and shout a trumpet. One of the songs we sang this morning talked about it. When that trump shall sound. And that a trump, trumpet will sound. And it says that the dead in Christ will be raised. And some of you have heard the movies, you know, uh, that talk about, what's the series? Left Behind, and it talks about people being uh, raptured. You've heard that term. And so that's what will happen. The church age, those who put their faith and trust in Christ will be raptured, will be brought up with Christ. And we believe here that I'm not going to, you know, fight tooth and nail on this one, but we believe that the, the church is raptured and then there's a seven-year tribulation on earth for all those who do not put their faith and trust in Christ. And that basically God is going to make life very difficult during that period of time. And it's actually a time to get Israel to repent and get them back to their knees and that they would say yes we missed it we were wrong and so if you look in that <clears throat> picture Israel kind of like the puzzle pieces fit back and, and Israel's restored back Israel repents it says and that they turn to Jesus Christ Christ after that rapture comes back with the church us and rules on earth it says that we have opportunity to rule with him Let's read Revelation 19. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. So he's cleaning up all the messes, all the injustices. He's cleaning house. It says, <clears throat> His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with the robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And we know that we call Christ the, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, I believe that's us, the saints, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. So basically what happened is all these 
nations that are revolting, and there are many nations that have revolted against the Jews and against Christians even today, that it says that he is going to take care of... It's, it's unfortunate to say, and I know it can maybe even bring up more questions than answers, but it talks about that basically this is going to be so horrific of battles. During these periods of time, there will be uh, so horrific of battles that basically blood will be flowing the chest of a horse, the height of a horse's chest. That's how bad it's going to be. <clears throat> it said, He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fiercest, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. This is bizarre and kind of creepy, but it shows <clears throat> the sense of justice here. Uh, all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, the flesh of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast. I'll explain this in a minute. Let me explain it now. Basically what he's saying, basically what he's saying there is there's all these people that have revolted against God and he talks to the birds and he tells the birds, hey, all these who have rebelled, and gone against me, they're basically bird food. That's what's happening to these guys. I, I've come to, to take care of injustice. And to us, we think, well, that, how could that be? Christ is supposed to be loving and, and caring to everybody. And he has, and he's given chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. But most of us would agree it's not loving and it's not fair to turn our head at injustice. If you have an abuser, you would like to see justice for them. Even if you've forgiven them, you want to see justice. If somebody in, in government and you see all these injustices that are going on, you want justice. Well, Jesus Christ is going to deliver that justice one day. And, and, and he's given many chances for repentance, many chances for restoration, many chances for turning. It says... And then also, we, a lot of us, we worry about what's going to happen, you know, the beast, uh, the, the mark of the beast and these things. Well, here's what happens. <clears throat> I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, all their armies gathered together to make war against him, against Christ, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So there's going to be a false messiah. He's going to be promoting himself, trying to get people to take the mark of the beast, trying to worship him. Well, he takes all of them, and he says, These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The rest were killed with a sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and the birds were filled with their flesh. Okay? So you can see, that's that crown, and that's that period of time where he comes back, he cleans house, and then he rules on the earth for a thousand years. Jesus Christ rules on the earth for a thousand years. It says during that time, I think it's in Isaiah 9, I believe, where he talks about that's the place where child, children will be playing with lions. Kids will put their hands in the holes of vipers and not be bitten. There is going to be Eden-like when Christ is reigning here on earth. So you can now begin to see like things are getting better. All this sin and devastation, we just got the house cleaned up. And now we have the perfect ruler sitting on the throne. And it says, 
Then there's complete restoration. I saw in heaven, and then this is after that thousand years, I saw in heaven a new earth, a new heaven, a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also, there was no more sea. I'm kind of bummed about that because I keep thinking I want a beachside house in the kingdom. But, And this is, again, is going to take place literally in a land. He says, I saw John, then I, John, John's the one writing this, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. We're going to be living in the very presence of God. Remember back in the garden? Remember? It's a picture of that again. It says, God himself will be with them and their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. For he who sat on the throne, Christ said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, right, he said to John, Write these words, Write, for these words are faithful, <laughs> true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this, and, and we'll begin to wrap up here, we can see, and I know that's a lot of information, isn't it? But can you see the story of the Bible now and maybe how it all fits together and it's a, it's a picture for us of how Jesus Christ is going to genuinely, truly, literally restore all the brokenness in our world? It's important for us to realize. And so as we go back to what's the main message, it's Christ restoring people in a world it's been broken. Now, I want to just, I think I have one more question here. What, is that, what does that mean for us? Well, if you're taking notes, you can add this. It says that, you know, the, the reality is that Christ wants to begin this restoration process in us today. You may be thinking, oh, that's great. Wonderful for Israel. Wonderful for uh, the future and, and uh, you know, new heavens, new earth. That's great. But I got a lot of problems today. Well, the fact of the matter is that he's going to take care of all that, but he wants to begin that restoration process in our lives and our hearts today. That he wants to begin, and it says that we don't have to wait to enjoy his healing. If you're filling in the notes, it says Christ wants to begin his restoration process in us today. We don't have to wait to enjoy his healing. Many of you have already enjoyed some of his healing. Forgiveness is healing, isn't it? The forgiveness, none of us deserve to be wiped, our, our accounts to be wiped clean, but he wipes them clean. He'll do that now. We don't have to wait for that. And so Jesus Christ, we can see even that in forgiveness that he offers us today. He begins to restore us. We don't have to wait. Next, if you're taking notes, because of Jesus Christ, we can have hope for the future despite all the devastation and brokenness in the world today. It's depressing watching the news, isn't it? It's a little bit scary sometimes, but you know what? We can have hope for the future because as we just went through, we can see who wins. We can see what happens. Is everybody's worried about, is the earth going to be destroyed by an asteroid? I don't know, but I do know a few things. Even if it is, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and I got a chance to be there. 
you know? Is North Korea going to nuke us? I don't know. But I do know that no matter what, we have hope for the future. That's the truth of God's Word. And what else does it mean? It means that we do have that message of hope and that many people need to hear if you're taking notes. You can write that in. We have a message of hope because people are scared, people are hurt, people are broken. And we have the book here that tells about the one who can restore their lives. Give them an abundant life now and an eternity with him in the future. That's a message of hope that we need to be sharing. I want to close by reading this paraphrase of Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. It says, Because of the blood of Christ, we are bought and made free from the punishment of sin. And because of His blood, our sins are forgiven. His loving favor to us is so rich. He was so willing to give all of this to us. He did this with wisdom and understanding. Now here, here we go. God told us the secret of what He wanted to do. It's Ephesians 1. God told the secret of what He wanted to do. It's this. In loving thought, He planned long ago to send Christ into the world. The plan was for to Christ to gather us all together at the right time. If we are on heaven, or if we are in heaven or still on earth, He will bring us together, and He will be head over all. That's a good news message, guys. We have good news message of hope and restoration because of our Savior Jesus Christ. And I would just encourage you, the answer isn't just to have this information in your head, but is to go, this tells me about the one I personally need to put my own trust in. I need to put my trust in Jesus Christ for eternity and for my current situations. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you. For this group, I thank you for your word. Father, I know we covered a lot and it was a long uh, message, a long teaching. But I pray that you would use it and even uh, as the next few days go on, that you would spark reminders in us about your son. And that even as we see uh, our own hurts and brokenness and as we see the brokenness in this world around us, that we would remember that there is a cure and it's your son. Help us to put our trust there. Father, we thank you. I pray that you would bless each person here as they leave today. Please keep them safe emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, that you would protect each one here. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.